Hello, listeners near and far. Thank you for tuning in and joining us for another episode of Who Knew We Didn't. It's great to have you back. And today, Marta and I, that's Marta, I'm Megan, by the way, uh, we are going to be discussing (laughs) mood disorders, specifically depression, bipolar, and anxiety disorders. Uh, Hopefully, you were able to catch our last episode where we talked about personality disorders like psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder. I forgot the word there for a second. You Um, looked at me like looking for the word and I was like, I have no idea. No, forgot (laughs) about it. It's been been a week. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, So I guess this is, it's a bit of a series. We're kind of on a bit of a uh, disorder kick. Yeah. Yeah. A brain health kick. Yeah. We're, we're talking about mood disorders today. And if you uh, tune in next time, we're planning to talk about um, mental health, mental issues. health issues and self-care. So yeah, this is what, this was, this is what's on our brains right now and, uh, investigating what is on other people's brains, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, uh, onward and upward, uh, with this episode. So uh, I think Marta's going to start us off today. Um, I have to say that this was a way easier bunch of things to, to research, research. Yeah. yeah i had a way easier time doing the research for bipolar than i did for psychopathy or sociopathy actually no psychopathy was the, it was easy to find shit psychopathy is exciting but sociopathy is well it's muddled yeah, yeah. um the a lot of my research was done for me by the national institute of mental health mine too that's yeah <laughs> and i wrote like a little outline i was like okay for depression i want to cover like obviously definition diagnostic criteria risk factors whatever whatever and then i looked at the page that was written up by the uh national institute <laughs> were those like the exact headings the exact headings yeah. so i was like i should one write for them and, <laughs> and two just copy this word for word so yeah. here we go a lot my main citation is the national institute of mental health Beautiful. Um, okay, so my I'm covering depression. Uh, sometimes it's also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression. Um, and this is a common but serious mood disorder. It's also the most prevalent uh, mental health issue in the States. I only really got statistics from the States because... Um, the National Institute of Mental Health is a U.S. organization. But when I was researching, I was doing a lot of uh, research through like CAMH and stuff like that. And mm. yeah, depression and anxiety both are like they're the most um, highly diagnosed um, mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think partially that's because it could happen to anyone, like regardless of um, regardless of your genetic predisposition or whatever like any kind of extreme life factors or whatever can make you yeah suffer from depression or anxiety so um these are severe system symptoms that affect how you feel think and handle daily activities such as sleeping eating or working Uh, to be diagnosed with depression you have to have symptoms presenting for at least two weeks Hmm. so um you could have depression based uh as a result of a traumatic event, like the passing away of a loved one, you could also have to suffer from depression, uh, because of just your brain is messing with you. Yeah. Like a chemical reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where I'm going to throw in that I suffered or, uh, okay. I'm going to say the word suffered from depression because that's what I'm used to saying, but I was told through my training, cause I'm volunteering at a distress center i was told in my training that it's not suffer from that the more 
um, empathetic way to say it is living with depression. Oh, yeah. 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 So I lived with depression while I was in school, um, in university. I was actually required to withdraw because my impression, my depression was so soul crushing, I guess. I didn't go to a lot of my exams. I didn't show up to a lot of my classes. I, it was bad. And for me, it felt like worthlessness. Um, also I didn't want to interact with people because I felt like I had nothing of value to provide. And also I couldn't relate to anyone and no one could relate to me. And what was the most poisonous thing about depression for me was that it felt like I was finally seeing clearly and that there's no point to like, I, I was very lucky that I didn't experience suicidal ideation. Like I wasn't suicidal at all. I was just in the dumps, but maybe if it had lasted longer, I would have gotten there or it would have been something that happened to me. Uh, but I felt like, yeah, I felt like there was no point in talking to anyone. There was no point in doing anything. There was no point in getting out of bed. And I felt like I was finally seeing the world for what it was rather than like, like I was, this is the reality and I've been kidding myself before now. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I was so ignorant and blissful, blissfully ignorant. And now that I'm like finally wise to the fact that life means nothing, like, Oh, it was just not a good time. And I was, yeah, I was really lucky because, um, before I had fallen into my depression, I had applied for a job in Australia for the summer teaching skiing. Um, and I was always a really ambitious person. And so this was part of my like ambition before mm-hmm. depression. And then I found out that I was kicked out of school. And I think a week or two before I was given, like I was offered the job in Australia before I got kicked out of school. So it just, everything just lined up together and I wasn't even planning on going. I just applied because somebody else I knew got the job there and I was like, oh, I can get the job. Um, and I did. And then I got kicked out and I was like, oh, I guess I could actually go. Use this. Like, I guess this makes sense now. Yeah. So I went and it was the best thing in my life. The best thing that had ever happened to me was getting kicked out of school. Um, and also living in Australia was amazing. It was like springtime conditions there, like in the town where I lived, it always felt like spring, even though it was winter for them. So it was spring does really good things for my mood. Like winter messes me up, but spring, spring is good. So it, I was forced out of my depression, but some people might not be so lucky. Um, anyway, I diverged massively but that's my personal story of living with depression. That's not a divergence. Like that's (laughs) brave yeah well um and I try to be really open and honest about it and I know um one of my one of my friends has told me like because you shared your story it helped me share mine like because you shared your struggle it helps me share mine and I was like dude I don't think that I was weak for having gone through that like it's I don't know I'm so excited that I did get through it and I'm so excited that life allowed me that opportunity to go work in Australia and like it pushed me out of depression and I still deal with sadness and I still like winter is really tough for me so I make sure I exercise a lot during the winter and I'm really as social as I can be because as soon as I allow myself to withdraw I fall into that pit yeah um so I kind of it allowed me to learn what works for me and it allowed me to learn how to keep my head afloat um so if you guys have the chance to talk to someone 
Like if you're feeling bad, if you are worried at all that you might be living with depression or that you might need help getting out of your funk, talk to someone, talk to a friend, talk to a family member. Um, and then if you don't have anyone to talk to, there's always helplines. And we're going to be giving those the information about that later on. Um, we'll also put any links that we suggest uh, in, in our the description. Episode. We'll put them in the description of the episode as well. So you can follow the, like some of mine um, might actually be easier to access online. Yeah. Yeah. And everything that I just said wasn't in my notes at all. I just didn't realize that I'd be so... I don't know, so wanting to share about this. I knew I wanted to, like, pop in my story, but yeah. I didn't know I'd go on for this long. So, um, there it are different... long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, ten minutes. We're at ten minutes. So, there are different forms of depression, um, and they develop under different circumstances. So, there's persistent depressive disor- disorder, which is, called, which is also sometimes referred to as dysthymia. Um, it lasts at least two years, and it's major depression with periods of less severe depression. Wow. So, the people that you hear of that they're, like, stuck in depression, like, stuck living with consistent depression that's major depressive disorder or persistent depressive disorder um there's perinatal depression so it's full major depression during or after during pregnancy or after delivery this is more than just the baby blues baby blues happen because of a natural dip in hormones after you deliver um and it tends to be depressive symptoms for up to two weeks but if you are feeling it for more than two weeks or some women are like cripplingly depressed while they're pregnant and that's what this is perinatal depression is it is that the same as postpartum depression or is it different Mm -hmm. it's like they would be yeah so perinatal depression is what the national institute of mental health calls it now but it has been referred to as postpartum okay but postpartum also has been loosely used like as a synonym for the baby blues so that's why they're trying to like separate these two. Like they don't use the word postpartum depression anywhere. Okay. Because postpartum, like, I feel like that's a term that's widely used. Yeah. Um, like in common conversation. Yeah. So that's why I asked. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a I have an acquaintance who had a baby, um, and she opened up to us recently, and she told us like, yeah, we're I'm suffering from postpartum partum or like perinatal depression, and she's like. In the mommy world, there's such a stigma because I want to be the best mother I can be for my child. And like, I'm a terrible mother because I can't get out of bed in the morning. And she's like, I haven't been able to talk to anyone about it because like everybody wants to be the best mother and you don't want to admit that you're not not a good mother. Wow. Yeah, it's actually crazy. I thought that that would be something that you would openly talk about. Like, Well, and it's also like, it's something that I would think that you would talk about in the mommy community. Like yeah. if anyone's going to get you, is it? Is it not another mother? Like, exactly. why Why would... And you have such a huge reason to be depressed. Like, your hormones are so out of whack. And, like, um, even if you've already had babies, like, dealing with a newborn baby is... Well, that baby is new. Everything you do with that baby is new for the baby. And, like, especially if it's your first kid. But even if it's... If you've got other kids running around, you're, like... Even without babies. Mother, it's fucking hard. Yeah. Even if without the baby, if I was dealing with that little sleep being interrupted so often, like something's always crying, even if it wasn't my own baby and my own hormones weren't fucked up, like that would probably, to be honest, that would probably throw me into a depression because I'm pretty sensitive that way. Oh, absolutely. It changes the dynamic of all of your other relationships, like your relationship with your partner, if you have a partner or like with other people in your support system, like 
Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Um, next up is psychotic depression. So this is severe depression with some form of psychosis, like delusions or hallucinations, and they're usually depressive themed. So um, delusions such as, you know, everybody hates me or whatever, or um, hallucinations about bad things or evil things. So this is a hallucination, hallucination, like yeah. seeing things that are not there. Yeah. So wow. it's psychotic depression. Okay. So you're so depressed that. Or you're so depressed and you're also having like, psychosis. Okay. Wow. Um, there's sad seasonal affective disorder. Um, my, Me, my sister, and my mom have all been, like, have all spoken to our family physician about this. And this is something that we really struggle with. So vitamin D is like candy at our house while we're <laughs> in the winter. Uh, so this is onset of depression during winter months. Uh, and it's it has a predictable return and a predictable onset so you can kind of prepare for it it's actually kind of a blessing as far as the types of depression go because we can we you know when it's gonna come and you kind of know how to fight it yeah well hopefully yeah yeah we have like we have those little like blue light lamps everywhere in our house too i have one on my desk at work well I say at work, but in my home office. (laughs) Um, Then there is bipolar disorder, uh, which Megan's going to talk about. This is a different form of depression, but it has low moods. So yeah, yeah, there's also unipolar disorder. So it's like bipolar, but just only depressive. Um, But yeah, Megan's going to go more into that. But bipolar does have like parts of it are about 50% of it. Yep. (laughs) By two two (laughs) tuples. One of them is bad um i'm gonna stop word vomiting there disruptive mood disruptive mood dysregulation disorder uh this is in children and adolescents so it's kids who can't control their moods moods yeah Mm. um and there's premenstrual dysphoric disorder pmdd this is so people talk about pms Mm -hmm. all the time pms was actually like a thing a diagnosable thing, but they changed the war, the the name of it to PMDD, so premenstrual or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, because this is like this is more than women most women experience. It's like actual crippling depression before you get your period due to hormonal fluctuations. Wow. Yeah. So women like some women get pissy before their periods, and that's like they refer to that as PMS, but PMDD is completely different. Well it's at the same time and the causes of the symptoms are the same, but like it throws you into an actual depression. Wow. Which is wild. Um, is it, uh, I'm interested. Is it, uh, consistent with every single cycle? Good question. I wonder I don't because know. I feel like PMS, at least in my own experience, like I certainly get it, but there are lots of times where I don't like, there are lots of periods where I'm fine. You know, I'm just, it happens and you move on. But then there are other times where it's like, oh, yeah, no wonder I was being like that uh, <sighs> for the last three days that or even just for the last day. Like, you know, it makes sense. But I think um, it sounds more intense. So I wonder if it's something that is consistent and always happens. And yeah, curious. I don't know for sure. But I would think that maybe just like how your PMS fluctuates, PMDD might fluctuate too. Yeah. Well, if it's hormonal, then very well could. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if you eat more or less sugar, if you're more or less stressed, your body deals with hormones or differently. just, like, depending on the month. Like, it's not uh, necessarily a set <clears throat> amount of hormones 
coming or going. Yeah. And let's put a pin in the whole hormones and depression thing because we're going to come back to that. Okay. Um, Diagnostic criteria or signs and symptoms of depression. So I already said it has to be persisting symptoms for more than two weeks. But those symptoms are sad, anxious, or empty mood, feelings of hopelessness or pessimism. I That was my kind of depression, hopelessness and pessimism. Irritability, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, and helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy or fatigue. I'm going to read these really quickly yep. because there's a lot. Uh, moving or talking slowly, feeling restless and having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, difficulty sleeping early morning wake awakening or oversleeping appetite and or weight changes thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts aches and pains headaches cramps digestive problems without a clear physical cause and or um oh without a clear cause or they don't ease even with treatment those are the symptoms well yeah and so it's funny because like these a lot of these things like decreased energy or fatigue or moving or talking slowly or whatever like by themselves they're not too bad and you're like oh i must have not slept properly or whatever and that's kind of like how my descent into depression started that it was just like i'd just write them off or like appetite or weight changes or difficulty concentrating like i'd just write them off i'm like oh i'm feeling scattered today or whatever and then at the end of it like i didn't even realize that it was depression until after i had gotten out of it yeah because i was just so consumed by it it was yeah and it's like, it sounds like it was a slow, a slower slope into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so this is, again, one of the most common disorders, uh, mental disorders in the U.S. Um, I would say probably the most common. It can happen at any age to any person. Uh, you might be more likely to get it if you have personal or family history of depression. So I know I have a history of depression and I have a family history of depression, even though we haven't officially been diagnosed because my family doesn't like going to the doctor, but like I can, you can recognize the signs and symptoms. Yeah. Um, certain physical illnesses and medications also cause depression. Uh, so if you have a life threatening illness or something like that, that can easily throw you into depression because it's a traumatic event and hormones, they play a huge role. So this means that depression is much more common among amongst women than men because mm. women have larger hormonal fluctuations and inconsistencies. But also something that I think might be influencing this statistic as well is underreporting because men, there's a stigma against men coming forward, talking about their feelings, that sort of thing. So I feel like I have a note about this somewhere. I definitely came across this in my research where it's like men probably maybe for the mental health research. Yeah. It's like reported more highly in women than in men, but that doesn't mean it actually occurs more highly in women than in men. It could just be that women are more open to reporting it. Yeah. Yeah. What's also interest interesting, and this is kind of newer research on depression, is that men and women seem to suffer depression differently. Oh, really? They seem to have different symptoms. Yes. Yeah. So women feel sadness, worthlessness, and excessive guilt as their most common symptoms. Men feel very... Irritability? T- hmm? Is irritability on the no. men? No. Oh, sorry. Did you say men? Yeah, yeah, it is. So men feel very tired, irritable, lose interest in one's pleasurable activities and have difficulty sleeping, which is amazing because a man I hold very dear to my heart has experienced all of these things and has said, oh, well, I'm just tired or I'm just overworked or whatever. And I'm like, no, you're actually suffering from depression. Talk to me. Yeah. (laughs) So 
it's, yeah, again, for men, it's irritable, tired, loss of interest in one's pleasurable activities and difficulty sleeping. Um, which is interesting because that could also correspond with the underreporting because it, those seem like easier things to sweep under the rug, especially in today's society where everybody's overworked and exhausted. Also, if that's how you're feeling, like it's easy for you, um, not easy for you, um, like if I'm feeling irritable and I don't have an interest in like things that were previously pleasurable to me and I'm like having trouble sleeping, like I'm just going to get fed up and I'm not going to want to talk to somebody about it. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's um, like, that's a real block yeah. Um, in your way. Yeah. Yeah. Or like if you don't like things that you used to like, I think it kind of leads, it lends itself more to trying something new that you might like. So maybe yeah. like it's kind of like a self and not fixing thing, but it's different because women like feel worthless. They don't want to try other things. But if a man's like, oh, well, I don't like this thing that I used to like, maybe I'll try something new. Yeah. I don't know. But this is just this is just anecdotal. This is just me guessing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Some more statistics for depression. 16.2 million adults in the U.S. have had at least one depressive episode. This is 6.7 percent of all adults. Wow. I don't know about any other, like maybe the common cold affects people like that, but I don't know. That's a lot of people. Uh, the, it's most common in the 18 to 25 age group. Um, and a potential for, potential reason for this is because that's when you go under, that's when you undergo a lot of life changes. Yeah. Uh, that's when you become officially an adult. That's when you go to school. That's it's when you become like more officially responsible for exactly all of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Relationship issues, whatever the case. Oh yeah. It's when you start having serious relationships. Like you can have long-term relationships younger than that, but having like a serious yeah. relationship with somebody comes around that, or at least it did for pretty much everybody I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also had an interesting statistic about, about it across different cultural uh, groups, a reporting of it across different cultural groups. And the most, it's most likely to be reported in mixed race people. Hmm. Uh, but what's very interesting to me is how low the numbers were for Asian and black people. Um, and there was actually this whole thing recently, well, not recently, but like uh, in the media about Kid Cudi coming forward and saying, I'm depressed, mm -hmm. like I'm suffering from depression and how like there's a huge stigma against men, but especially black men coming forward and talking about their feelings and talking about like depression. So I think that underreporting is a big, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Is a big factor in how low Asian and black people, like, cause Asian people also just like culturally, they don't talk about things like that. So, or at least from what I've read, but yeah. I am not Asian. So I don't want to come across as ignorant, but I no, would assume. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, okay. So once again, now we're going to talk about treatment. Once again, if you think that you may have depression, make an appointment with your doctor to talk to them about it. So it can be your general doctor or your healthcare provider or somebody. Uh, you can also go to a walk-in clinic if you don't have a family doctor for a long time. I did not have a family doctor, but I used walk-in clinics too. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, whatever's available to you, just talk to somebody because the earlier it's treated, the better. Um, also, it fucking sucks. So, like, the earlier it's treated, the less time you have to spend in that. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, definitely, the longer that I was depressed, the worse it got. Because mm -hmm. it built on itself. Yeah. So, um, 
the thing about tre- the treatments for depression is that not no one size fits all. Uh, this, Very dependent on the person. Yeah, this is partially due to the fact that scientists have no fucking idea what causes <laughs> depression. It's infuriating, but I couldn't find any like one thing. And so... Sorry, I just want to interject and say I agree with you. And it was also very frustrating because I hear the term or like I hear people talking about chemical depression Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, chemical. So that must be measurable. That must be like you understand the chemicals at play here. And then in all of my research, I like didn't find any of that. Yeah. Not to say it's not there, but like uh, maybe not as readily as available as I might like. There's a few theories to what causes depression. Um, One of them is that it is a chemical balancing. So it's not that there's necessarily too many or too few. It's that there's just a perfect balance. And so that's where the medications like uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So SSRIs, SNRIs, TCA, MAOI, and then a whole bunch of other um, ones that don't fall, fall into like strict categories. And there's also hormonal therapies, that sort of thing. So that's the chemical depression is a big theory. And for some people that works, but the statistics on how many medicines, uh, how many antidepressants actually work are appalling. Whoa. Yeah. The statistics, statistics are really bad. Each study I found um, was had different numbers, but I would say a very, very, very conservative guess is that less than 50% of the medications or like less than 50% of people taking antidepressants actually get results. Wow. Yeah. So depressants are, uh, antidepressants are an option for therapy and they're definitely best when used in combination with psychotherapy. Um, and for some people they work and for some people, they just keep trying and trying and trying different ones because there are the the medicines that are available out there. There's a ton that work in a ton of different ways. And so yeah. there might be like one. You have to find the one that's going to be right for you. And there are a lot of them out there. So the time it takes to find the right one could be longer depending on yeah. the person. Yeah. It takes two to four weeks before your antidepressants actually start to work. Um, oh God! Yeah, and you can't just stop taking them. You no. have to wean yourself off, and then wean yourself onto a new, new one, one. If you are switching medications, that's really rough. It's a lot of work, and so it's looking kind of it looks kind of bleak when you're just looking at medications. But the most promising therapy is a combination of medications and psychotherapy. Um, the psychotherapeutic uh, approaches that have been proven to work, um, or like have actual empirical evidence that they work are cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So that's um, when you recognize that you are thinking a certain way and you teach yourself to act a different way. So that's cognitive behavioral. Um, Then there's interpersonal uh, interpersonal therapy and there's problem solving therapy. All of these have evidence behind them to show that they actually work. Some people, I know that some people don't like talk therapy because they think it's a hoax they think it's all freudian like oh tell me about how you're in love with your mother or whatever like that but that's not necessarily the case psychotherapy has moved leaps and bounds before we started recording this episode megan and i like i ranted at megan about some personal problems that i was having and i feel better yeah (laughs) so even just ranting i'm glad you feel better well good (laughs) (laughs) i'm Um, glad that our chat helped yeah Some more interesting and exciting research in the field is there's 
evidence for specific cell types and circuits um, that are responsible for being in or that are engaged during alertness, these circuits and cell types are also linked to depression. So when they're over-engaged or over-stimulated, it's possible that they cause depression, these circuits and cells that are activated. Mm. So before, or the idea behind the chemical imbalance is that it's something with the way that your body or your brain um, and your neural receptors like accept the chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and um, epinephrine, that sort of thing. And so it's something between the synapse and the actual chemical itself. But here they're looking at maybe it's a bigger thing. So, okay, the chemicals are all balanced and they're all working properly, but the cells aren't activating properly. Or like this neural pathway isn't activating properly, which brings to light the next um, form of therapy. And these are brain stimulation therapies. So you guys might have heard of, um, oh, I had this written down. Let me see. Electroconvulsive therapy or ECT. Yeah. So that's where they put like little um, patches on specific areas of your head and they actually like shock your brain. Before they do this, they put you under a mild anesthesia um, and they also give you muscle relaxants so that the rest of your body doesn't like freak the fuck out while your brain is getting shocked. These are very, very effective therapies. Yeah. And the research about them is getting like the research behind them is getting a lot better. There's even more therapies than just that one that I mentioned. Like there's more electroconvulsive therapies. Some um, have to do with your vagus nerve. So that's the nerve that goes like up through your neck into your brain. Like that's like your, I don't know, spinal cord. I think I don't know. I could be lying. That's I remember the first time I've ever heard that you said Vegas, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw a diagram. And so it looked like it goes up through your neck into your brain. Um, I believe you. Yeah. yeah. So there's like stimulation therapies and those work focus more on like cell activation and pathway activation. So it ties closely, closely with this research that it could be an activation thing hmm. instead. Um, what's also interesting is that, Men and women, they studied the gene representation in both men and women's brains, um, and they might have completely different causes of depression. So what causes depression in a woman might be different than what causes depression in a man, hmm. which is why these therapies, like the medications, we don't know what works on who because we never separated for gender before. So very interesting stuff. So they are still researching it. They are still trying to figure out what's causing it, but they don't know. And so be patient with treatment. The symptoms of depression do start to lift. Uh, for me, I was very lucky that I was thrown into a completely different life. Um, and I just like life kind of fixed me, but I did also take responsibility for my mental health. And like, I tried to fix myself as well. But yeah, so it's not hopeless. It's not as hopeless as we think. Also, as we mentioned in the sports psych episode, exercise and like healthy body means healthy mind. So I want to stress that as well. Um, and these are some tips. So be active, set realistic goals, spend time with other people, try not to isolate yourself, postpone important decisions. If you're feeling depressed, don't like get married or get a divorce or something like that. Um, expect gradual changes and know that it's not going to be dramatic and also know that you are so not alone. Like most people have a story and that's, that's my rant or not my rant. That's my blurb about depression. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, 
leading right into that is uh, a good a good time to start talking about bipolar, I suppose, since as we mentioned, it's fifty percent of the disorder is is depression. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that for a while now. Then, um, so. <laughs> Uh, bipolar disorder, it is previously, it was called manic depression. If you've heard the term, that's, that's what bipolar is. Uh, it's a disorder that causes periods of depression and periods of elevated mood. Um, other mental health issues like anxiety disorders and substance abuse, abuse disorders are commonly associated with bipolar individuals. There's a lot of crossover there. Um, the DSM-5 indicates that bipolar and depression disorders are, like Marta mentioned, the most commonly diagnosed conditions in psychiatry. Bipolar too? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, says the DSM, so I'll believe it. Did you know that Demi Lovato is bipolar? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I really like it because she's very open. Sorry, I just put fudge in my mouth, but no, sorry. <laughs> she's very open about her struggle and she's actually just launching a tour and she says that she's offering free group therapy before Whoa. each one of her concerts. That's heavy. Like, um, what does that mean? Free group therapy for people coming to her concerts? Like me I think and so. 5,000 other people are going to... I didn't listen. I don't know more facts about it, but she's offering free group therapy huh? as part of her tour. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, she's planning to accomplish that. I think that's a really nice I- idea. I wish all good things for how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, an interesting fact, and this uh, this is what I was thinking of earlier when you brought up the thing about men versus women. Uh, the DSM suggests that it may be that certain symptoms are more readily endorsed by men or women and that this contributes to the difference in service provision. So like women might be more likely to recognize a depressive bipolar or anxiety disorder and endorse a more comprehensive uh, symptoms than men. Like they'd be able to explain their symptoms to somebody uh, recognize their symptoms first of all, but also explain their symptoms, um, more easily than a man could because societally women are more in touch with the, like we're trained to be more in touch with yeah. our emotions I yeah think. or just not like we're we're it's um more accepted in society for a woman to talk about her emotions than for a man yeah mm-hmm. um anyway uh if severe bipolar like symptoms of prolonged duration occur one might get a diagnosis of uh cyclothymic cyclothymic yeah cycl- cyclothymic disorder sorry uh it's, i have no suggestions for pronunciation i had it i when i was doing the research i like was saying it correctly like rolling right off my tongue but that was 24 hours ago so <laughs> you're doing your research like just saying cyclothymic and <laughs> taylor's like she's actually losing it <laughs> No, she I just like, I, I remember reading it like a bunch of times and being like, yeah, oh, I got that word, but she gone. Um, anyways, it's a chronic mood disorder um, and it's considered to be like a more chronic but milder form of bipolar disorder. So like it's it's part of that. It's characterized by uh, numerous mood swings with periods of hypomanic symptoms that don't meet criteria for a manic episode, hmm. basically. So and, and alternating with periods of... Um, symptoms of depression that don't meet the criteria for uh, a major depressive episode. So like you're, you're experiencing these mood changes, but it's not quite severe enough to be given the diagnosis of bipolar. I've wondered like, what is the line? 
what's the line? Because I feel like I have mood swings and sometimes I'm feeling really great and then I have really low lows and they're not like, it's not mania and it's not depression, but I do feel like I swing sometimes. And so am I? Uh, I think mood swings are, are natural, but for, okay, so it said for adults, they must experience these symptoms of like these mood swings. And it's like, it's to a degree that like it could be considered hypomanic, but not, um, um, not like it, it it might be like that but it's not to the degree of being a manic episode and it might be depressive like symptoms but it's not to the degree that is considered a major depressive okay. episode so like you are experiencing the mood swings they are not extreme and it's chronic so you have to be experiencing these for at least two years for oh, adults shit. and for children it's one year that's so that's really long yeah depression's only two weeks and bipolar's two years uh, no, 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 no. Just uh, cyclothymic. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, not bipolar. Um, if the bipolar like symptoms are due to drugs or medical problems, this is classified separately, usually as like a substance abuse or medication induced bipolar and related disorder. I think the DSM throws that into every single diagnostic criteria like if we can rule it out as like being affected by this like we'll classify it differently like Mm -hmm. all of these things all of these variances have to be uh accounted for yeah yeah um the bipolar condition is divided into two uh different sections basically aptly named bipolar one and bipolar two (laughs) (laughs) bipolar one is uh, whoever was naming those was like fuck it i'm just done one and two (laughs) one and two um yeah uh for bipolar one disorder criteria represent the modern understanding of like a classic manic depressive disorder um or affective psychosis described through like the 19th century so like basically your common uh like what you would think of as bipolar that would be like bipolar one okay um it's identified when there has been at least one manic episode with or without depressive episodes and then bipolar two it used to be thought of as a milder condition than bipolar one but not anymore um this is because of the amount of time that individuals with the condition spend in depression and also because the instability of mood experienced by the individual with bipolar two is typically accompanied by like a serious impairment to their ability to work or their social functioning so they don't like just call it milder uh than bipolar one anymore okay um so this is diagnosed when there has been at least one hypomanic episode but no manic episodes and at least one major depressive episode and an interesting note the national institute of mental health identifies four types of bipolar disorder it actually combines bipolar one bipolar two cyclo thymic disorder and other specified and unspecified like literally specified and unspecified bipolar (laughs) disorder was the other one that they threw in there so yeah dsm identifies two and calls cyclothymic disorder its own thing but nim puts all four together okay yeah Uh, Some signs and symptoms, Uh, individuals with bipolar disorder may have increased activity, poor concentration, and increased impulsivity, but these features are episodic, so they occur like several days at a time. Um, 
Increased impulsivity or inattention is accompanied by elevated mood, grandiosity, and other specific bipolar features. Um, children with ADHD may show significant changes in mood within the same day, like such as um, um, like like a manic episode. Um, but it must last four or more days to be clinical uh, to be like a clinical indicator of bipolar, even huh. in children. Yeah. So a manic episode is like more than just a few hours? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently. At least that's what I'm Yeah, I'm led definitely to not bipolar. At least to get to the diagnosis of it, I I'm, think. I don't think I've ever been consistent over the course of one day, let alone four. Yeah. So like I think that if you uh, I'm, and I may be shooting in the dark a little bit now, um, I think to get the diagnosis of bipolar, you need to have this. You could um, be diagnosed as bipolar and maybe have a manic episode that does not last for four days. Um, but like, I think to get the diagnosis, you have to be gotcha. meeting that criteria, I think. Um Bipolar disorder is rare, apparently, in pre-adolescence, even when severe irritability and anger are prominent, as opposed to something like ADHD, where the disorder is very common among children and adolescents who display excessive anger and irritability. So, like, uh, anger or being irritable when you're a teenager is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that you're bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I was diagnosed as ADHD, like in university, and you're saying that like anger and angry and irritable children are more likely to, or like yeah. ADHD is closely tied to that. Yeah, that was me. I was yeah. so fucking angry. <laughs> I was um, such an angry kid when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Huh. Hmm. I wouldn't have expected you to be an angry child. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, like you're feisty, but. Yeah, that comes from years of just being angry <laughs> and aggressive. I don't know. I just, uh, whatever. It was a, I was a Maybe we'll child. talk about it more in our childhood yeah, maybe. episodes that we'll we see. don't have planned, but we'll probably do eventually. Oh, God. Yeah. Guys, we're going to talk about everything. We'll, we'll do it. We'll get there. Don't worry. Be patient. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about the elevated mood side to bipolar. Uh, elevated new nude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking about serious things yes, here, so yeah, I should stop, it, but... It's one of those... Is that a Freudian slip? Is that what that is? Elevated nude? Yeah. You're like, fuck these clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my pants do feel quite tight right now. Um, elevated mood is known as mania or hypomania, depending on the severity, or whether symptoms of psychosis are also present. So, like, manic, what that means is during a manic episode, the person behaves and feels abnormally and persistently energetic, happy, or irritable. The person will often make poorly thought out decisions with little regard to consequences, reduce need for sleep during manic phases. Um, for diagnosis, I think the manic episode must last at least one week and be present most of the day, nearly every day, or any duration if hospitalization is necessary. Um, some noticeable, pardon me, noticeable behaviors during a manic episode, uh, inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, um, like feeling rested after only three hours of sleep. More never, me never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never. Um, more talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking. Uh, uh, fight idea or pardon me. Ideation is oh, that a word? Uh, 
Sorry, I just couldn't read my own typing there. Not even writing. I just couldn't read the font right in front of me. You just chose a different one for that word. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Basically, like, feeling like your thoughts are racing all of the time. Um, Distractibility, like your attention is too easily drawn to unimportant or irrelevant things. Um, uh, Both reported and observed. Like, somebody, it's not that you necessarily tell people that you feel that way like it could be observed by somebody else that that is Mm -hmm. happening um an increase in goal directed activity either socially or at work or um you know anything like that um or psychomotor agitation um now this is different from hypomanic which basically is like a manic episode but it's lasting at least four consecutive days and is present most of the day nearly every day um no psychosis if symptoms of psychosis are present that is manic by definition so hypomanic is how is that different from mania um it's it's basically the same like it's the same sorts of feelings but um no psychosis reported what's psychosis psychosis is like um being out of touch with reality oh okay 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 i don't know why i didn't realize that it's okay um Probably because I had been rambling for a little bit before then. Probably because I'm out of touch with reality. (sighs) Maybe. It's getting late. Um, Yeah. So so hypomanic is like a manic episode. uh, But yeah, no psychosis and um, not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance. Yeah. Sounds like a DSM sentence to me. It was. (laughs) Yeah. Copy paste. Um, Now, the depression side is either... Uh, one, depressed mood, or two, loss of interest or pleasure. Um, it's identified when five or more of the following symptoms have been present for the same two-week period as um, with the manic episodes um, and represent a change from like previous functioning, like how you how you used to be. So you have to swing within two weeks. Yeah. And your mania has to last at least four days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then these depressive symptoms have to occur in the same time frame. Um, and, and it has to be different from how you were before. Like if, yeah. Um, and so five or more of the following criteria, um, depressed mood for most of the day, nearly every day, um, as indicated by either like, like feeling sad, empty or hopeless or, uh, an observation made by others, like you're appearing tearful for example um diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day nearly every day either recognizing that in yourself or having someone else recognize that in you um significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain so like five percent of your body weight in a month kind of like up or down Mm -hmm. um or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day um, insomnia or hypersomnia nearly every day, uh, psychomotor agitation or, um, fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, um, diminished ability to think or concentrate or like just indecisiveness nearly every day, um, recurrent thoughts of death, not just like a fear of dying, um, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt. Sounds a lot like the depression. Yeah. Yeah. But like, 
uh, it is. Yeah. It's like experiencing depression persistently over the same two week period where you're experiencing these like manic episodes as well yeah. or, or hypomanic. Um, the DSM was pretty careful to consider that these symptoms might also occur in an individual who's like responding to a significant loss or like just a traumatic event like if you got fired or something like that um so like they they indicated that ultimately if something like that has occurred and you're experiencing all of these things um the decision about whether or not it's a major depressive episode it, it has to be um diagnosed clinically like it's up to clinical judgment at that point okay um uh interesting statistic well uh not really interesting pretty grim uh risk of suicide among those with bipolar is very high it's roughly six percent of of people who with bipolar disorder um risk of self-harm occurs in 30 to 40 percent of those individuals yeah uh it's not clearly understood what causes it uh but it seems that both environmental and genetic factors play a role what bipolar yeah yeah um Many genes of small effect can contribute to one's like risk mm -hmm. of, of being diagnosed with bipolar. Um, environmental factors would include childhood abuse or long-term stress. Um, from National Institute of Mental Health, most agree that there's no single cause for bipolar. And it's likely that just like many factors contribute to either having the illness or your risk of getting it. Um, some studies actually show how the brains of people with bipolar disorder may differ from those without um, or people with other mental disorders. So it could actually be or like not be caused by, but a contributing factor could be your brain structure and functioning. Yep. Um, a lot of research suggests that people with certain genes are more likely to develop bipolar than others, but genes are not the only risk factor. They were pretty clear about saying that because studies of identical twins have shown that even if one twin develops bipolar disorder, the other twin does not always develop the disorder, despite the fact that identical twins will share all their genes. So it's a factor, but it's not like the determining factor. Yeah. And family history. Um, children with a parent or sibling who has bipolar disorder are much more likely to develop the illness compared to children who do not have family history of it. Um, but it's important to note that most people with a family history of bipolar will not develop the illness. So like just because you have someone in your family who has bipolar does not mean you are destined to get bipolar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was also looking on the CAMH website. Uh, CAMH is a Canadian organization. It's the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Uh, so I was looking on their website. Great organization. Um, it's Canada's, I found this out, Canada's largest mental health and addiction teaching hospital. I did not know that. What, the one in Toronto? Uh, yeah, the, I didn't know it was a teaching hospital. Carol, um, my sister, she was at CAMH for a while, wow. like with her nursing program. Like as a student? Yeah. Wow. I think she, yeah, I think she had like some courses or something there. It's an incredible organization. It's also one of the world's largest, um, or pardon me, one of the world's leading research centers in the area of addiction and mental health. Makes uh, sense. Pretty incredible. Anyway, um, CAMH indicated that stress or difficult family relationships do not cause the illness, but these factors could trigger an episode in someone who already has the illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so could I see thought that. that was interesting. Um, in terms of treatment, there are certainly treatment options, even for the most severe forms of bipolar. Um, 
An effective treatment plan usually includes a combination of medication and psychotherapy, so very similar to what Marta indicated for depression, very, very similar. Honestly, all of the treatment options that you listed were things that I researched for bipolar. Chem mm-hmm. um, H indicated that often a combination of treatment options is needed. Usually biological treatment is needed first to bring the symptoms under control. Biological? Yeah, yeah. Like, like medicine? Um, yeah, like okay. medicine, not like getting into like don't go to talk therapy on like day one of your therapies like get your biological symptoms under control before you get into that mm-hmm. it basically is what they said um the goal in treating bipolar is to help the person get well again so that includes treating the symptoms until um they no longer cause distress or problems and it involves improving work and social functioning and reducing the risk of relapse So lots of different medications do help control symptoms, but one might need to run several different medications before finding the one that works best for them. Um, Usually medications for bipolar will include mood stabilizers, um, atypical antipsychotics, and antidepressants. Um, Those taking a medication should talk with a doctor or a pharmacist to understand the risks and benefits of that medication, report any concerns about the side effects to a doctor immediately, and a doctor may need to like change the dose or, or try a different medication. Um, definitely avoid stopping a medication without talking to a doctor first. Like suddenly a stopping a medication can lead to a rebound or a worsening. Yeah. Or uncomfortable withdrawal symptoms. Exactly. Um, and any serious side effects should be, um, should be reported to the FDA or like MedWatch or something like that. It's interesting that you say there's, well, not that you, it's not interesting that you say it, but I didn't know that bipolar, there's antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and antidepressants. Yeah. I found, I think it was like last year or two years ago, I found a bag, this like leather men's like, uh, uh, like a toiletry bag and it was filled with pills. Whoa. Yeah. And I looked, I looked them up. I looked up what some of them were and some of them were antipsychotics. Some of them were mood stabilizers and some of them were antidepressants. And so I thought he was just kind of like jumping around trying different like medications to see what would work for him. And he just like never threw out any of the bottles, but I guess it's possible that this person was maybe bipolar. I, I went to the, I took the bag back to the pharmacy that where he got the meds. Oh, like you, it was on the label. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I was just like, taken aback by how many things were in there oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i probably would have taken it to a pharmacy to be like hey i found these pills on the street but i don't know that i would have gone as far to be like oh this is the pharmacy where these were purchased i would just like stop at the nearest shoppers they came from out like our neighborhood pharmacy oh okay okay like we have like an ida on our block cool and i was like oh that's very convenient because if it was like in toronto i probably wouldn't yeah anyway anyway Interesting. Um, So psychotherapy, as Marta mentioned for depression, this is a very common treatment option for those with bipolar. When done in combination with medication, psychotherapy can be very effective uh, Mm -hmm. for bipolar to provide support, education, and guidance. Um, And for both the people experiencing the disorder and their families. Um, Some psychotherapy treatments used for bipolar disorder include, uh, like Marta mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy, family-focused therapy, interpersonal and social rhythm therapy, and psychoeducation. Um, Other therapies listed by the National Institute of Mental Health were um, 
ECT, like Marta described, that's also used for bipolar. Um, sleep medications are often used by people with bipolar who have trouble sleeping, and they'll often find that this is a helpful treatment option for them. Huh. However, um, if sleeplessness doesn't improve, a doctor might like change those medications, or if the problem just continues, then they might prescribe like stronger sedatives or other sleep medications, but like any, any time that medication is involved, well, really just any time ever when these things are involved, work with a doctor <laughs> for any of this. Also, how are you getting your hands on that medication without a doctor? Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> street drugs. Yeah. Just like barbiturates on the street. Yeah. Just, yeah. Anyway, you can get all kinds <laughs> of things these days, Marta. Also true. <laughs> um, I also, saw this on NIM, uh, supplements was listed, like vitamin supplements. Yeah, was that was listed. for depression too. Yeah, um, but not a lot of research has been conducted on herbal or natural sub substances, and, or pardon me, supplements. I'm sure And St. how they John's, affect bipolar. I'm sure St. John's Wort came up with you too, right? Pardon? St. John's Wort? No. Oh, so it's a herbal supplement. I've actually, my, my mom and my sister and I all like, react very well to it okay um it's a herbal supplement for depression but if taken in combination with like ssris you could fuck your shit yeah. right up so you have to please just consult a doctor don't be a naturopath all on your own uh seriously and like um not, nothing against naturopaths or anything like but like talk to a doctor yeah. like a medical doctor yeah yeah because um you can get I think it's called like serotonin syndrome and that gives you like legit constant hallucinations and mania and Jesus psychosis. Christ. Yeah. So if you just, if you take the wrong combination of medications, it can have dangerous effects. Yeah. And you can just fuck. Like if you're like whatever doctor you're working with, be open and honest and clear about and tell your pharmacist. All of this. Yeah, tell your pharmacist. Exactly. Like, like it's important for your support group your medical support group especially to understand all of the prescribed or over-the-counter anything that you're taking for these you can symptoms. never be too safe no you can't really you can't um another thing i found was keeping a life chart is a treatment option yeah. uh, or a treatment suggestion um and it's helpful because even with proper treatment mood changes can occur yeah um so treatment is more effective when a client and a doctor work closely together and talk openly about concerns and choices and a life chart records like your daily mood symptoms treatment sleep patterns and life events so that would help that communication like help foster that dialogue with your support group to like understand the illness and help you get better um also the last one I'll mention is relapse prevention. So a big part of recovery is learning to recognize uh, a relapse, which is like when the symptoms come back. Same with uh, depression. That, yeah. That came up a lot with depression too. So that's seeking help as early as possible. Uh, that can do a lot to reduce problems or challenges. Um, building a relapse prevention plan, and you should prepare this when you are well. Um Map out early warning signs, list treatment strategies that have worked for you in the past, and assign tasks to key people in your support system who can help with your recovery. Uh, and sometimes these plans, they might be as far as like a formal arrangement with your care team or an informal arrangement with loved ones. 
Yeah. Um, and to wrap it up, I'll say bipolar really is a lifelong illness. Episodes of mania and depression typically come back over time. And between episodes, many people with bipolar are free of mood changes, but some will have lingering symptoms and long-term continuous treatment helps to control those symptoms. Yeah. Cool. So that's bipolar. Super comprehensive. Okay. Well, thank you for that overview of bipolar. I learned. I... I didn't know, but now I know. So yeah, I uh, I won't talk too long about this, but the researching bipolar was kind of upsetting. I I was once very close to somebody who was diagnosed with bipolar, and I feel really awful because I didn't see it or like I didn't recognize it, and like even I think when I did, I didn't take it as seriously as I needed to to be like there for that person the way that. Mm-hmm. they really probably needed um and yeah so it was yeah it was real it was real thanks for sharing that that must have been that that like that kind of stuff it's tough to be somebody who's supporting somebody who's struggling with mental yeah. illness because you also have to care for your own mental health too and if their shit is dragging you under you want to be there to help you su- to help support them but also and it's uh it's I'm going to say something that's probably super obvious. It's really frustrating. It's really frustrating and hard and not, not to say that it's easy to give up or something like that, but it's just like, yeah, it's hard to take care of yourself when you have those concerns or where like, especially if you're not totally taking it seriously, it's, it's kind of easy to be like, well, you know, they, um, they need to take responsibility for themselves or like, this isn't, this isn't like a medication level problem. This is like them having issues dealing with this life event that was yeah, difficult. Like, why like can't it's you very, just deal with this. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. easy to just get frustrated and, mm-hmm. and, um, give up. And so, yeah, it was, it was real and hard to learn some of these things. I'm glad I do understand it better. I think that is something if you are related to somebody or like, like if you're involved with somebody in any way who has one of these illnesses, I think a good thing to do is educate yourself, understand what it is that they're going through and totally just try and uh, just even try and understand, get that far. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just as a, just to also mention, if you are a loved one of somebody who lives with bipolar or depression or anxiety or whatever, it's also a very viable option for you to go to therapy as well. Yes, absolutely. Because supporting somebody who is struggling is also fucking work. Yeah. So it's a lot of work and it's like a lot of emotional work. Yeah. yeah. So there's no no shame in that. I love therapy. So. No shame at all. No shame in any of this. No weakness in any of this either. No, no these are in never this- ever did I read the word weak no. in any of the research. People who suffer from a depression are t- typically weak-minded. No, not <laughs> no, true. Not at all. Yeah, that's uh, I guess something that we didn't really stress in the beginning. It's like these are actual illnesses. Like as much as the flu is an illness, depression is an illness. Yeah, absolutely. And just like you take medicine to get better when you have a cold or when you have like a physical illness, you take like it's okay to take medication. It, like you should work with a doctor, but like that is not a sign that you can't handle it or that's not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, you need medicine to get better yeah. and you need treatment to get better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was good. That was a good little sincerity corner. Um, final, our final thing that we're covering today is anxiety. Um, anxiety is not directly related to. I think well, it's not. It's it's not depression and it's not bipolar, but it's one of the things that we decided to include because it's kind of like a mood regulation thing. Yeah. Uh, and also it's something that is really, really common. And I think people frequently say like, oh, well, I have anxiety or I have. I'm, yeah. And that anxiety is not the same as feeling anxious about something. Yeah. 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 So I just, I, we thought that this was a good thing to put in. Um, and I hope you guys feel the same way. So anxiety, um, occasional anxiety is a normal part of life, as Megan just said, but anxiety disorders are more than just a temporary fear. So I feel anxious about meetings that I have on Monday, my performance meetings, for example, or something like that. But it anxiety disorder is something that doesn't go away. It actually just gets worse with time. Uh, and if you think again, if you think that you have an anxiety disorder, speak to a doctor, speak to a healthcare professional, um, they can get you a professional diagnosis. Don't diagnose yourselves based on this podcast. <laughs> Don't diagnose yourself based on this podcast. <laughs> yes. So in my research, I found three main types of anxiety disorders. So there's generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, that's the most common one. So this one includes excessive anxiety or worry for months. So not just like a week where you're stressed. It's for months, uh, restlessness or feeling wound up or on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or having minds go bl- your mind go blank, irritability, muscle tension, difficulty controlling the worry and sleep problems such as difficulty difficulty falling asleep, uh, st- or staying asleep or restless and unsatisfying sleep. Um, you guys will notice that there's difficulty concentrating and irritability here. I think that, that kind of goes with like just a lot of mental health issues. Because yeah. that would fuck your shit up. I'd be irritable if I could yeah, control my brain. Absolutely. And I think it's a um, good early indicator to keep an eye on in terms of like, like you will feel irritable yeah. from time to time. But like, are you feeling irritable consistently? Are you feeling irritable? Like, is it uh, more than just like related to a specific event? Yeah. It's yeah. a good indicator to just watch for me that's my main indicator to know that i'm slipping into depression when i get pissed off about everything like when everyone is bothering me and i hate everyone when i start getting fed up with people yeah that's when i'm like oh marta like start eating your greens and start exercising and go outside and talk to people and whatever because you're sliding anyway Panic disorder is another form of anxiety, uh, another anxiety disorder. So these are recurring, recurrent, unexpected panic attacks. A panic attack is a sudden, intense feeling of fear. Um, this could include heart palpitation, pounding, uh, pounding heart, trembling or shaking, that sort of thing, or not being able to breathe. Um, feelings of being out of control during a panic attack are common. You have intense worries about when the next panic attack will happen. And oftentimes people who have panic disorder will be afraid of or avoid the places where the panic attacks have occurred in the past. Whoa. Yeah. So what if they happen in your home? (laughs) Bye home. (laughs) Um, not funny, but no, it's not, but panic attacks are really scary. And like, uh, if you have them in your home and like you feel like you need to get out of there, but like you don't feel safe anywhere else. Like it just is panic attacks suck. Yes. Oh yes. (laughs) Uh, and then next up or final is social anxiety disorder. 
So people do feel stressed in social situations. Sometimes this isn't the same thing. So this is a marked fear of social or performance situations. So it's like an actual fear. Um, you feel highly anxious without being, uh, about being with other people and you have a hard time talking to them. You feel very embarrassed, self-conscious, uh, in front of other people. And you're worried about being humiliated or rejected or fearful of offending others. You're very, very afraid of other people. Um, and that they will judge you, that sort of thing. And you worry for days or weeks before an event where other people will be. Um, I don't know if this is an appropriate place to interrupt you and ask this question, but do you think that this is with all people or a specific type or group of people? Like, um, like, like work people, like coworkers or your bosses, like, like that you have a constant fear and I realize it means persistent and you know um debilitating and all of those things like sometimes you just don't want to be around your coworkers. that's different but like do you think that or did your research say that it is all people or did it point out that it could just be related to specific groups I'm just curious um I didn't think to look into it but you know who would know Dr. Ellen Hendrickson. Oh, she would probably know. You're right. Yeah. Who's somebody that we want to have on our podcast and she has the Savvy Psychologist podcast, um, but her specialty is social anxiety. Oh, we should maybe reach out to her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So you feel nauseous or sick to your stomach when other people are around, blushing, sweating, trembling around other people, having a hard time making friends and keeping friends, staying away from places where there are other people. I think that this is social anxiety is like you're afraid of everyone, but you might have like a set of people who you feel okay with more so than like there's a set of people that you're afraid of and you feel okay with others. Okay. Okay. So risk factors, um, again, a big risk of developing an anxiety disorder is being female. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, shyness or behavioral inhibition in childhood, um, having few economic resources, being divorced or widowed, exposure to a stressful life, uh, exposure to stressful, exposure to stressful life events in childhood and adulthood. Um, anxiety disorders in close biological relatives increase your risk of developing an anxiety disorder, parental history of mental disorders, elevated. Oh, this one's really interesting. Elevated afternoon cortisol levels in the saliva. So cortisol is a stress hormone. And so when you have elevated levels of cortisol in your saliva in the afternoon, that's specifically correlated with social anxiety. That's a little weird. I wonder why. Strange. Yeah. I couldn't find the study that they cited for this, but, but it was on the National Institute of Mental Health. So, so yeah, probably right. Um, so researchers have found that several parts of the brain as well as biological processes play a key role in fear and anxiety. So it's more than just one thing. Like there's certain parts of our brain that are wired for fear. Um, so the therapies, what's interesting is again, CBT, is yeah the best therapy honestly when i was in like when i was in school and we were talking about the different types of psychotherapy cbt was my favorite cognitive behavioral therapy because it just really seems like here's this thing that's causing you distress learn a different way to act to it yeah like if something really stressful happens or if something that like 
gives you anxiety happens some people have an elastic band on their wrist and so they snap the elastic band to like calm themselves down and the actual pain of the elastic band it's something oh i think it's something called like a relief sensation so like the pain of the anxiety like the physical pain of snapping the elastic band once the pain is over your body actually releases like your body feels a feeling of relief oh wow yeah that's part of the logic behind why people cut so when they're really emotionally pent up and stressed, when they cut, the feeling of cutting being over or the pain simulation stimulation being over actually release like floods your body with a feeling with really of relief. Wow. Yeah. So a suggestion for people who cut is to instead crush ice cubes in your hand and squeeze ice cubes as hard as you can for as long as you can until it actually starts hurting and then let go of them and that you'll get the same a similar feeling of relief. That's the same thing behind the rubber band. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that um, weird? That's, I had no idea. I didn't know that at all. Um, so CBT is kind of like rewiring your brain, like to give yourself different reactions to stressful stimuli. Um, but if you do need something like an elastic band to help you like immediately fight off those extreme emotions that's also something that you can think of oh and also exposure therapy so things that make people anxious it's kind of like a phobia thing so facing your fears yeah yeah the best way to get over it is to kind of do it um but of course not like if you're afraid of spiders walk into a like a room filled with spiders like talk about it first or like if you're afraid of people, if you have so- social anxiety, talk about that anxiety or like talk about like what could go wrong and how that's not the worst thing. And then like slowly under the care of a psychotherapist, don't just throw yourself into a crowded room because you're going to freak out even more. Um, there's a show I really like called Shameless. And one of the characters Girl. is Agoraphobia. You, you know? Yes. When oh, she- and ag- yes. What's her name? The one that's agoraphobic. Yeah. Um, Sheila is the yes, character's yes, name. Yes, yes. Um, there's the British one and there's an American version. The American version, it's um, Joan Cusack, who's like yes, one of my favorite I love women. Her. I fucking love Joan Cusack. And she's so good at it. She's great at it. And I don't remember if this happens in the American one, but it definitely does in the British one. Um, her like exposure therapy to her agoraphobia is she does like a virtual reality shopping trip and she like has a VR and she goes grocery shopping and she panics and the whole thing fails, but she got like to the door. She's getting to the door of the grocery store and she's going to go put her groceries in her, in her grocery cart. And she like totally panics. But I think part um, of the way that she got it over in the American one was because her daughter had a daughter or her daughter had a baby. Yeah. So there was something some kind with of a like baby. an emergency. Where yeah. She there had was an emergency where she had to save it. That's what happens in the British one too. The British and American, like they're, cookie cutters of each other i like where the american one went more than the british one i prefer one, the american one yeah yeah it's really funny it's a good cast i really hate the guy who plays jimmy or steve or whatever the fuck his name is really i loved him i can't remember because he's from a different show where i also loved him um i hate him because i love the guy who played it in the Brid- british version oh okay yeah so james mcavoy i have like a really big boner for so okay. i like you can't yes I remember, <laughs> that's the that's the only reason i tried to watch the british version and i love fiona in the british version i like fiona in the american one too but i like really like i don't remember fiona in the british oh version. she i really felt her <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Bad um, tangent. But. I can't remember where. 
Yeah. So psychotherapies, there's CBT and exposure therapy. Um, there's also self-help or support groups. So there's, it's kind of more free form things to deal with, uh, to help you deal with anxiety versus like the more intensive therapies that were offered up as, for bipolar and depression. Uh, there's also stress management techniques, which I would kind of clump in with CBT. Yeah. Cause like when you're feeling stressed, do this behavioral thing. Yeah. It's like learning to, um, react with different behaviors than before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as medication goes, they don't necessarily cure anxiety disorders, but they relieve the symptoms. Uh, and they do this in a few ways. So there are antidepressants, um, which have been shown to kind of help with anxiety disorders as well, because again, it's one of those like scientists kind of have no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> And it really bothers me. Um, then there's benzodiazepines. So those are the those are the things that you see in TV shows, like the rich drunk mother from what's her fate? What's that show? Uh, there's probably like fifty rich drunk mother abusing pill shows. Um, this is gonna bother me, and we're not gonna include this in the podcast. Arrested Development. Yes. <laughs> As if that's the one I get for it. Yeah, yeah, so. Oh, I love her. She's so good. <laughs> Just any gif of her. Yeah. Oh, my God, the gifs of her, the eyes, the, like, every time I feel an Just, eye roll, Marta, <laughs> that's what you should. Anytime something is happening where you know I'm rolling my eyes, that's the gif. At one point, she said, there was, like, one episode where she's like, Michael, like, I want a vodka martini or something. And he's like, it's breakfast. And so she just changed her drink order to another alcoholic drink. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I'm terrible at recounting jokes. Anyway. Sorry. So but there's benzodiazepines, which are uh, used to calm extreme fear or worry. Uh, and these are the ones that you frequently see in pop culture that are being popped mm -hmm. to like, you pop one of these and you feel really calm or whatever. People also abuse these recreationally, but these do calm, these do like mellow you out. Then there's beta blockers, which calm the physiological symptoms like racing heart, that sort of thing. So they actually work on your like, yeah, physiological. Would these be symptoms. considered antidepressants or mood stabilizers? Mood stabilizers. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's about it for treatment therapies. Like it's pretty much similar to everything else we've talked about today. Yeah. There's no one thing that does it. It's about the Use person, what works for you. Yeah. And, and oftentimes a combination probably. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to me like just with anxiety disorders, coping strategies are really important to work on. Uh, so that you can deal with high anxiety situations later on. Um, and then some interesting statistics. So 19.1% of U.S. adults have an anxiety have had an anxiety disorder in the past year. Uh, women are at higher risk. What's interesting here, so with depression, the most common occurrence was from people 18 to 25. That is not the case with anxiety disorders. With depression, it happened more in children than anxiety happens in children. Mm. Kids don't tend to have as much anxiety. But when you're looking at adults, age group 18 to 29, 22.3% uh, of people have anxiety disorders. It, age groups 30 to 44, 22.7. So that's a difference of 0.4% difference. That's it. Wow. Like, so you're just as likely to have an anxiety disorder when you're 18 in your to 39. Or in your 30s or in your 40s as you are when you're in your, your 20s. Wow. Yeah. For ages 45 to 59, it only goes down by 2%. So 20.6%. Wow. <laughs> the chillest people, 65 plus. 
it's only 9%. 9% of the 65 plus experience anxiety. Okay. So that's everything I had to say about generalized anxiety or not just generalized, just anxiety disorders in general. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm there. All right. Um, well, I suppose we should, we should start wrapping things up then because it is getting kind of late. Um, I want to point out that one of the most common traits or like really the common trait among all of these disorders is how important treatment is. And that actually a lot of the treatment options for each of them are similar. Um, a family, a family doctor is a great resource. It could be your first stop in searching for help. If you or someone, you know, or love, um, is experiencing anything that we've talked about today, a family doctor is a good resource or, you know, a, a walking clinic, like speaking with a medical professional is, uh, is a really important first step. Um, we're also going to post some suggestions. Like we mentioned earlier, we're going to post some suggestions for finding general information on mental health and to find local treatment services, uh, in the description of this episode. So keep an eye out for that. We can also put it on our Facebook page. Um, also, if you are trying to support a loved one in any of these positions, you can support the person emotionally and practically, like learning about the illness, um, listening to your loved ones so you have a better understanding of their experiences. Um, someone who experiences an episode of depression may want to spend some time alone or like act out in frustration. And this can hurt other people's feelings but these are just symptoms so it is really important to remember that it's not about you it's like getting um, mad at somebody for like ha having a runny nose yeah you're it's not about you yeah. <laughs> it's not about you um you could work with your loved one to think about practical help with day-to-day -day tasks if that's something that they're challenged with uh you know especially if you have like a, a really major depressive episode you could have a lot of difficulty with day-to-day -day tasks so mm -hmm. being there for something like that can be uh enormous um make sure your own expectations are realistic like recovery takes time and effort and it means a lot when you recognize your loved one's work towards wellness regardless of the outcome um make your own boundaries uh talk about behavior that you can and cannot deal with um and seek support for yourself definitely seek support for yourself and think about you know joining a support group uh for loved ones or for family members affected by another loved one's illness consider family counseling but but you know don't don't forget about yourself in trying to be there for that other person. Um, if you, if someone listening is a person in crisis, there are many resources and helplines available to you. You should tell someone who can help you. Um, call your licensed medical health professional if you if you are already working with one, if you have a family doctor or um, anything. If not, uh, go to the nearest clinic or hospital emergency department. Um, if you have a loved one who is in crisis or like considering suicide, don't leave them alone. Uh, try to get them to seek immediate help from a doctor or again, the nearest local emergency option. Um, yeah, uh, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Yeah, but also don't beat yourself up if you can't be everything that they need. Like people's mental health, yes, they need. it takes a village, but also it's not only your responsibility. Yeah, and like, yeah, you need to look for support. And um, yeah. it's okay to look to a lot of different places for that support. Yeah. It doesn't have to be on one person's 
shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying like as somebody who's supporting a family member or something, like if you can't be everything that they need, that's okay too. Oh yeah. Sorry. That's what yeah. I meant as well. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. We're on the, <laughs> We're same, on page. the same page. Sorry. Yeah. You're not alone and there's no shame. Like you might feel like, oh, I should be able to cope with this. Like other people are dealing with this, whatever. That's, that's fine that you can't cope with it. Seek, seek help, seek yeah. support. Yeah, definitely. Um, so on that very serious note, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I learned a lot, uh, in this one. I'm, I'm glad that we did an episode about this, this whole, uh, sort of mental health series that we're kind of doing is eye opening for sure. Um, it's been really cool to have all you listeners along for the ride. We hope that you've enjoyed this or at least learned something. It's not necessarily the most fun material, but it's important. Also relatable. Also relatable. It is relatable. I related to, uh, scared myself a little bit with how much I related to some of the things that I, that I looked up for these when I was episodes. writing about depression, I was like, me, this is also me. <laughs> yeah. Also, I did this. More so for the next one for <laughs> me. But yeah, that like I, I had a friend who went through this and that was eye-opening to learn a little bit more about it and yeah. kind of kicked myself for not paying more attention or for not not trying to learn more at the time. But like we say, it's uh, hey. it's, it's okay. Yeah. Who knew? We definitely didn't. I didn't didn't then. <laughs> Hopefully I, I know better now. Um Anyways, yes. So we are around uh, 10 or 11 episodes in now, one or the other, um, which is pretty unbelievable, but awesome. So thank you, this everybody. This is 11. This is 11. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for, for sticking with us during this time. It's been really cool to see our listener numbers growing, and, and it's been cool connecting with people who have been listening and reaching out and, and you know, giving us feedback. So that's great. Keep listening. Keep subscribing. We love you all. It's really a cool cool experience um yeah for sure follow us on facebook twitter instagram who knew we didn't at all of these places or of course email us at who knew we didn't at gmail.com thanks again for listening and we will talk to you next time okay bye, bye. <laughs>